are so thankful for Jesus, and He truly is all that we need for this life, for the life to come, and that all we need is found in Him. Father, I pray that we would encounter this Jesus as we look at Your Word. As we've already encountered You, as we've worshipped in song today, would You help us encounter You in Your written Word? If there's one here today that cannot claim this song as their message, they cannot claim that they have a relationship with you, that today would be the day that they could sing that they became saved. Thank you for saving me. And it's in your good and holy name I pray. Amen and amen. I invite you to take your Bible, turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. The book, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. Uh, we have spent the first couple of months of this new year uh, examining six core values that we believe the Bible calls our church and every member of our church to embrace. And, and these values constitute what should be, and that's the key word, what should be the driving force behind everything that we do. I do want to offer a reminder to us all today, in case you did not know, we are not a perfect church. And the reason that we're not a perfect church, well, the primary reason you're looking at, okay? That's the main reason that we're not a perfect church. We are an imperfect church with an imperfect pastor, with very um, uh, imperfect people. In fact, my counsel to you would be this, is that if you ever find a perfect church, please don't join it because you will ruin it. <laughs> As any of us will if we find that phantom church that's floating out there. The, the church is not a museum of saints. The church is a hospital for sinners. And in this room today, there are people who have hurts, habits, and hang-ups that would keep us from being who God has called us to be. And that means that no one inside this room or outside of it is perfect in their practice of these values that form the DNA of FBC. We all have room to grow in embracing these values and practicing them. Now, with that being said, we do have an obligation to make progress toward the goal of more fully embracing and implementing these values in our lives, both as a member of God's kingdom and as a, as a member of God's church. And specifically, we are zeroing in this year on two of those values. We will seek to continue to embrace all six throughout the year, but we're really focusing in on two of these this year, and we're devoting a substantial chunk of our time and energy and effort toward them. One of those is sharing the gospel. That's the value that we hope to embrace fully this year is, is sharing the gospel. And I remind you that, that you can go to our website, fbcmilton.org slash one, O-N. 
N-E. Again, preferably not now, but later. And you can see on that page of our website resources to help you identify one person who needs the gospel and some things to equip you to share the gospel. And we'll be updating that page throughout the year to better help you do that. The other value that we're focusing in on is serving our community. You, you heard a little bit about Mission Milton that was uh, in the announcements this morning. And, and Mission Milton is a day that we set aside each year to collectively as a church serve our community. And you can be a part of that by, again, there's some sign-up sheets that are out here when you walk out these doors to the left uh, that you can be a part of a team who does ministry that day. If your weekend's already booked for that weekend, you can certainly uh, take part as we get ready for Easter. We'll have some big uh, events coming up for Easter to serve our community, but we want that to become part of, of who we are, and it already is in so many ways, but even more so to really focus on serving our community, and that's what we have been talking about. We talked about it last week, and we're going to talk about it again this week about this aspect of serving our community. Last week, we thought about the idea that we should bloom where we are planted, and that is that God has you where he has you for a purpose, and that purpose is to seek the welfare of the community in which you live. And as I shared with you last week, that really since God has had his people, there has been a tension that has existed in the relationship between God's people and the culture in which they live or the communities in which they live. When we placed our faith in Christ, our citizenship, as we saw last week, was transferred from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God. However, our feet are still planted in this world. The life that we live is lived in this world and in this earthly kingdom. There is a constant struggle between our flesh and our spirit as to how we should live in our culture and relate to our community. I told you last week about the two ends of the spectrum that some people tend to live in, and that is one end where there is no difference between the people of God and the world, and the other end is uh, where there's complete isolation of the people of God from the world. And God doesn't want us to live at either ends of that pendulum or that spectrum. God wants us to be in the world, but not of the world, to be salt and light that he's called us to be. And God knew that this tension would exist. In fact, you can look in Scripture and find passage after passage that deals with this tension in this relationship that the people of God are to have in the world in which they live. For example, Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 and 2, he says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, things that are not of this kingdom, but things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
God. Set your mind on things above, he said, and not on things that are on earth. <clears throat> or Jesus himself, who when he was speaking later on in a sermon that we'll look at a text in a few minutes, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That is, while we're on this earth to live for the world that is to come. While we're in this kingdom to live for the kingdom that is to come. The author of Hebrews tells us that as we live our life, that since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that we're to lay aside every weight in Hebrews chapter 12 and the sin which clings so closely and run with race, with, with endurance, the race that's marked out for us, looking to Jesus, not looking to people around us, but looking to Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, that we're to consider him who endured such hostility from men in his culture, we're to follow his example. How are we supposed to interact with our culture and our community? Well, the text we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 5 is a passage that's familiar to many of us. We hear it in various contexts in church and in Bible study. Let's look at what Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 5, specifically verses 13 through 16. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus used two of the most common elements in the world, salt and light, both common then and now, to describe the posture his people should have as we relate to the culture around us and to describe the reputation we should seek to establish in in our community. That's why I want to talk to you about being salty and shiny. Now, you never thought your pastor would ask you to be salty, but it all depends on the context, all right? To be salty and shiny as God's called us to live in this culture in which we live. What does Jesus mean by that? When he tells us to be salt and light, what is his point? What is he, he telling us to do in our lives? And I think I can best answer that question of what does it mean to be salt and light by making three statements about it, okay? So let's think about those three statements today, this morning. Number one is this, living as salt and light is an identity that we receive. Okay, I want you to understand that you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have an identity as salt and light. Notice the language that Jesus uses. You are the salt of the earth. 
You are light of the world. He did not say you will be or you can be or you should be. Jesus said you are. That is present tense. That is something that is current and active. The, the, the context is important. Jesus makes this statement in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7 is the longest recorded sermon of Jesus. If you read it, it would time out between 10, 11, 12 minutes depending upon how fast or how slow you speak. And I know right now you're going, Pastor, why don't you be more like Jesus, right? <laughs> it's the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, the point of that sermon is that Jesus is saying, here's how people who belong to my kingdom should live. Here's how people who belong to my kingdom should act. It's not teaching us what we need to do in order to be accepted by God, but rather the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount are to teach us how we should live because we are members of the kingdom of God. So when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, when you become a member of God's family, when you become a citizen of God's kingdom, you become salt and light. It's not a question of if you are salt and light. It's a question of how salty your life is and how bright your light is shining. You see, identity, something that's important about identity, identity is never achieved. It is always received. Jesus is saying that those who receive their identity in Christ, those who are saved, should have a positive impact on the culture around them. You are salt and light. Hear me. You are either making an impact for the kingdom of God or you're making an impact for the kingdom of this world. Your life is continuously producing results, be they positive or negative. God has given you an identity as salt and light, and we are meant to live from that identity. There is no middle ground. You're either influencing for Jesus and his kingdom, or you're influencing for the world and its kingdom. We need to understand, if we're followers of Jesus, being salt and light is an identity we have received. Here's the second statement, and we'll see how they all mesh together at the end, hopefully. <laughs> the second statement is this. Living as salt and light is a calling we must answer. It's an identity that we receive, but it is a calling that we must answer. For you see, even though salt and light is our identity as God's people, God does not force us to live as salt and light. God doesn't force us to be a positive influence. It may, we may think it would be easier if he does, but God has given us this free will to use as we seek to be salt and light in our community. In that sense, living as salt 
salt and light. It's a calling that we must answer. In other words, we have a responsibility to live from the identity God has given us as salt and light. That's a process. Let's take light, for example, where Jesus says, you are the light of the world. There is a process, there is a progression in being the the light of the world. For example, let me show you how that, that progression works. The very first thing we're called to do is that in relation to the light, we are called to receive the light, okay? That's how it all starts. We're called by Jesus to receive the light. It's not enough to be exposed to the light. We must receive the light. This is what Jesus meant when he said in John chapter 3 that light has come into the world, but that people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. He talks about the person who does what is true. That person comes to the light so it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. That is, we have a choice, us being salt and light, that calling that we must answer from that identity that we receive, that begins when we understand that we're called to receive the light. Then once we have received the light, we're called to walk in the light. Okay, we receive it, then we walk in it. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that's good and right and true, and try to discern, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Okay, this is where we're getting nitty, down to the nitty gritty. We're talking about being salt and light. What is it that pleases God? That's how I become salt. That's how I live as light. I answer this calling. I respond to the light. I receive it. I walk in it. And as we walk in the light, we are then able to reflect the light. See, this is the central point of what Jesus is teaching us in this text. Is he is the light of the world, right? And Jesus, as the light of the world, presents himself to us. We receive that light. We walk in that light. We walk in fellowship with the Son through God's Holy Spirit. And as we do that, we begin to reflect light. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 9, verse 5. He said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. As long as I am in the world. Now, is Jesus physically in this world today? The answer is no. It's no, no. He's not physically in this world today. So here's what happened. When Jesus returned to heaven, the responsibility to be the light got transferred to guess who? Me and you. That's why Philippians chapter 2 tells us to do all things without grumbling and disputing. To do all things without grumbling and disputing. To do all things without grumbling and disputing. We can just stay there for a new series, can't we? To do all things, Baptist, without grumbling or disputing. That you may be blameless, innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked, twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You see, the moon, in the same way that the moon merely reflects the light of the sun, 
followers of Jesus are to reflect the light of Jesus. That is the calling we have received. And to not answer that calling is to not live as salt and light. So this salt and light thing that God's called us to embrace, it's an identity that we receive and it's a calling that we must make a choice to answer. And the third statement I'll make is this, living as salt and light, it is an activity in which we must engage. See, we receive, <coughs> excuse me, we receive the identity from Jesus. We understand he's called us then to live from that identity. And living involves us engaging in activities that are salty and shiny. All my years of seminary have led me to tell you this truth that's going to blow you away. Living as salt and light involves living as salt and light. You're welcome. I know, deep thoughts, right? That you can't say you're living as salt and light unless you're living as salt and light. Unless you're engaged in activities that are salty, that are shiny. You see, it's possible for us to be salt and light, but not to be salty and shiny. It's possible to have this identity, but not live from it. Salt does no good if it's left in the shaker. Light does no good if it's put under a bushel, if it's put under a bucket, if it's put under something that covers up how it shines forth the light. It does no good unless we engage in activities that shine forth light that help us be salt. See, where Jesus lived, salt was collected from around the Dead Sea. And that's why you see, when look back at what Jesus says in verse 13. He says, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? How can that happen? Well, where Jesus lived, salt came from around the, the Dead Sea. Dead Sea, and around the Dead Sea, there were a lot of things that were dead. Again, I'm flowing with the knowledge today, right? That there was there, there, there was an absence of life. That that uh, and when they would gather the salt, they would have other minerals that were impure, and sometimes that those impurities overpower the salt, and the salt would lose its saltiness. And what good is salt if it's not salty? Makes no sense, right? And so, being salt and light is an activity in which we must engage. Therefore, do something. Okay, this isn't rocket science. This isn't brain surgery. This is simple. This is doing something that is salt and light to let your light shine. Begin to think like Jesus. Have this mind in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Pray that God will give you the attitude toward people and toward things that Jesus would have. Begin to speak like Jesus, act like Jesus. When everybody else, okay, this is simple. When everybody else is leaving their buggies 10 spaces away from the cart collector at Walmart, take it to the cart collector. It won't hurt most of us to walk the extra 20 steps, right? I mean, something so simple. Do something that shows people that someone 
has changed your life. Smile. I heard somebody tell this morning to remind the choir to smile. And I said, I'm more mind the congregation to smile. Look like you know who Jesus is. When we gather together to worship, understand that we're not mourning at a funeral. We're celebrating a Savior. Turn your frown upside down. Smile for a little while. When you go out in the world, act like Jesus. Assume that people are going through junk because they are. Be Jesus to them. Let someone go in front of you at a red light, especially at a red light up here at Stewart Street. <laughs> I'll admit, if there's one place your pastor is not salt and light, it's at the red light at Stewart Street and Caroline. That's, that's what I'm working on this week and last week, and the week before. <laughs> Get around people who don't know Jesus. And if you don't know people who don't know Jesus, get out in your neighborhood, get in our community. Go to Walmart. It all comes back to Walmart. Go to Walmart. <coughs> Go to Find. Get around someone who doesn't see Jesus and show Jesus to them. Listen, I want to say this with all the love I can say it today. People don't care about how much you know about Jesus in your head, nor do they care about how much you say you love Jesus in your heart if they don't see Jesus being lived out in your hands. Okay, it doesn't matter how much we know or how much we say we love this or the other about Jesus or his church or his people or anything else, if we don't live it out from our hands. What can you start doing today to be salt and light to people who don't have a relationship with Jesus? That's what it means to be salt and light. To show Jesus to someone that doesn't know him. By your actions, by your attitude, by your disposition, and eventually and essentially and certainly by the words that you use when you share the gospel with them. You see, one of the most efficient ways to serve your community is to be salt and light. Don't do all your good works around people who've already accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior. I didn't say don't do any of them. I said don't do all of them. That's called ministry, not mission. And we're called to be engaged in ministry, but we're also called to be involved in mission. Be intentional about letting Jesus shine through you so that those without a relationship with Jesus will notice the difference Jesus makes in your life. I think the reason Jesus uses salt and light as the examples of what we are to be in our culture is because there's nothing more common and ordinary than salt and light. It's common, ordinary people like me and you that God uses to transform the world. My question to you this morning very simply is this. Will you leave this place this morning, follower of Jesus? 
will you leave this place this morning determined to be more salty and to let your light shine brighter? And that starts when you go sit down at your table when you go to eat after church. That means that you have a smile on your face. That means that you tip your waiter, your waitress more than a dollar. You just approved a $1.4 million budget. Come on, give there too, all right? It involves when you get up tomorrow and you go hang around the people you work with that don't, need, that don't know Jesus. That means that you react to them like Jesus would react even when they don't treat you like you think you should be treated. Will you leave here today as a follower of Jesus, determined to be a little bit saltier in a good way tomorrow than you are today, and to let your light shine brighter? Maybe you're here today and you have never met this Jesus we've been talking about who's changed our lives. Maybe the reason you haven't come to that place in your journey with Jesus yet is because you look at the people who claim him and, and you say, well, they're not salty. They, they don't let their light shine. Understand, again, we're imperfect people. Just because one doctor's a hypocrite doesn't keep you from going to him if you have cancer and need help. Remember that Jesus is the perfect light. And the best way to help current Christians get over their hypocrisy, I'm talking to you that you may not be a believer yet, the best way you can help a, the person that you're thinking of that's not a, that, that, that says they're a Christian and they don't act like it, is why don't you show them what a Christian should be? And that starts with accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior, the light of the world who will take you out of the kingdom of darkness and put you into the kingdom of his beloved son that's full of light. I don't know how you walked in here today. I don't know what all's going on in your life this week. I know there are things that take place in our life that would cause us to get sour at the world, that would cause us to get sour at people. But we have a living hope as followers of Jesus. And our relationship with Jesus is not just designed to get us to heaven. It's designed to help us make an impact while we're here on this earth. Do something this week. Do something today to be salt and light. And if you don't know how to start that, ask Jesus. He'll be glad to place upon your heart what you need to do to be salt and light. As we bow together this morning, as we pray, after I pray, we're going to stand and sing. Again, I don't know what God's placed upon your heart. My only ask of you will always be, and only always be, to put your yes on the table. Maybe God has worked in this time of worship to place someone specifically on your heart that needs to see Jesus in you and hear about Jesus from you. And you want to be salt and light to that person. So maybe your next step is to make a commitment to Jesus today to say, yes, Lord, I will be salt and light to that person.
You know your disposition better than I. Maybe you walked into this room a sour Christian. Maybe you need to ask God to change your attitude toward the people he's put around you, that you whose paths you cross each and every day. I don't know what God's placed upon your heart today, but I know that we have to do a better job of being salt and light. And I can think of no better place for that to start happening than First Baptist Milton right here this morning. As the people of God make a commitment to God to be salt and light where he has planted us. Father, I thank you that Jesus came to this earth to take us out of the kingdom of darkness, and to place us in the kingdom of light. Father, we know that we fall short of being salt and light as we should. But we know that today, before this day is done, we will have an opportunity to be salt and light to a world around us that is dark, that is decaying. So help us to be who you have called us to be, And whatever commitment we need to make today, help us make it. In Jesus' good name, amen.